from ancient times, cultures in the northern hemisphere have created many winter festivals around the winter solstice to get the juices flowing and keep hopes alive until spring. And now we celebrate as America's national holiday, the biggest holiday of the year, Christmas. What better time to focus our attention on Jesus' birth? And with our study leader, ask ourselves some important questions about light and life and what on earth they have to do with the babe in the manger as we continue our journey to Christmas from John chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. Well, it's winter time. Doesn't it feel like winter right now? We've been having summer, but it definitely looks a lot like the winter. The winter is a time when it gets really cold. The roses in my backyard are still blooming, and they're not going to bloom very long. I hear that tomorrow it's supposed to drop below freezing, and they'll all shrivel up, and then they'll fall off, and those rose bushes will lose all of their green leaves, and they'll die. As that cold produces the deadness in nature, then the shortest day of the year, the winter solstice, the day that has the least amount of light. All right. But from the beginning of time, cultures have used that idea of the shortest day, often a very cold day. When all of nature dies, they've used that day. We've got to celebrate. We got to do something to get the juices flowing, to get life. In fact, in Saranac Lake, close to where I was raised, they actually have a whole week in February where they have parades and they have floats and they, they elect the king and the queen. When it's 20 below zero, they'll be out there on the streets with this gigantic parade. Why? Because from the beginning of time in the heart of winter, you need to be able to lift your spirit up. You need light. You need light. The Romans called it Saturnalia. And in the winter solstice time, they would pray and they would worship and ask the sun to return. And as the day began to get longer after December 23rd, they'd be looking forward to the spring when finally life and light would return. There's a big debate on how in the world that the winter solstice festivals that were celebrated throughout the ancient world, celebrated throughout a lot of different cultures in the, in the northern hemisphere about exactly how that got connected with Christmas. You might be surprised because it's become one of our highest holidays, in fact, the most popular holidays. Do you realize that if you lived in New England, the Puritans outlawed the celebration of Christmas? In fact, it wasn't until the 1680s that they put a law that made it legal to celebrate Christmas in New England. Thank the Lord for the Moravians that came over. They were our church family breathing deeply from the Moravians that believe that you're saved by faith. They were Czech and they were German. And they were the first ones in Pennsylvania where some of you are from. They had the first Christmas trees in the New World. And so in the Moravia, in, in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, for example, they would celebrate Christmas and people would be filled of life and filled with joy and they celebrated Jesus' birth. During the revolution, the custom fell again. In fact, remember, some of you that remember the Battle of Trenton, 
George Washington actually came across that Delaware in that famous, remember he's standing up in the boat, which is stupid. You don't stand up in boats when you're going across the river. But the famous picture, George Washington, and then they surprised the Haitians. Those were Germans. They were German mercenaries fighting for the British, and Washington overwhelmed them because they were partying, celebrating Christmas. I'm glad that President Grant in 1861, I believe it was, or 1865, Grant said, we're going to make this a national holiday. In fact, I think it was 1870. It was after the Civil War. He was trying to bring the North and the South together. So he made Christmas a national holiday. Macy's, close to where I was raised in New York in the early 1900s, joined it together with Courier Knives and all that kind of advertising. And that produced the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, which produces Black Friday. And now you're living in, man, this is the day that Jesus was born, and we all celebrate that. What I want you to know is the New Testament doesn't really tell us when Jesus was born because the Lord Jesus wants to be born in our lives and live in our lives every single day. And he doesn't want us just to have calendar days. But he also wants us to really think that when a culture devotes this time to the celebration of Jesus' birthday, what better time to really focus on that? And one of the burdens I would have as we journey towards Christmas is that you're going to use this celebration of Christmas to really communicate to your friends because you're hearing the Christmas carols. One of the great traditions of this Christmas season is you sing the great classic Christmas carols. What could be more classic than Charles Wesley and Felix Mendelssohn? Last week I shared with you about Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. And I talked to you about Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord. And I also shared with you about the fact that in the beginning, he already existed. So when we tell the story of Jesus, and as you're explaining the story of the birth of the Bethlehem baby, you got to go back before time. John is telling us that Jesus eternally existed. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now we're going to go on and deal with the next verse. It says, Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. The Romans worshipped the Son. The Egyptians worshipped the Son. A lot of ancient cultures did. Our Savior created the Son that warms our earth. And in the spring, we start to move towards the longest day. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life in all he brings, risen with healings in his wings. Where did that verse come from? Turn in your Bible to John chapter 1, and let's look at the next phrase in the prologue, John chapter 1, as we look forward to December 25th when our kids are going to get all excited and they're going to be filled with life and they're going to be filled with joy. We want to help them to move towards, hey, that iPhone's not going to bring you life. That iPad's not going to make you full of joy forever and ever and ever. What produces light, what produces life can be the strangest things. But my prayer today is that as you're sitting here on the holidays, holidays are a weird thing. That we're supposed to be full of warmth, we're supposed to be filled with light. We have all the Christmas lights blazing brightly. But some of you have a darkness inside of you. You have a depression. This time of the year. 
can be a really tough time. As a counselor, this can be one of the times of the deepest depression for people. Because we're looking for life, we're looking for light in the wrong thing. And my purpose this morning is for God's incredible Holy Spirit to help you to really ask yourself, where does my life come from? Where does my light, what turns on the light in my life? Like when someone's depressed and I look at their eyes, the lights are out. We even use that expression, their lights are out. And what I want you to really think deeply today is what are you looking for in your life for life and life? And the Apostle John, in the next phrase of this incredible introduction to his book, he makes an incredible statement. Look at it in John chapter 1, verse 3. It says, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing that was made in the stress there is, as you look at the world right now, you're looking at all the things that have been made. They were made in the past, and now you're enjoying them. What the text is saying is that whoever this word is, all the things that we now enjoy, all the things that have been made, were made by him. Everything that was made was made by him. The very first thing I want you to think about is Jesus, according to this text, as we're going to go on with the story, John makes the incredible thing that the eternal begotten of the Father, the one that lived before creation, the one that had eternally existed in intimacy with his Father, what he's saying incredibly, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and darkness hovered over the face of the deep. And the Holy Spirit hovered, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And then it says, and God said, let there be, and there was light. Then later on in the chapter, it says that God causes the continents to come out. And then Moses will tell us, under the inspiration of God, he'll say, and God caused vegetation to come to life all over the ground. Then it tells us that the seas teem with life because of the created word of God. And then later in chapter 2, it focuses on on us. It focuses on the creation of human beings. And it says that God fashioned Adam. And then it says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of. Do you realize that God is the creator? If you're a scientist, when you ask this question about who created it, We're getting back behind the Big Bang. So whatever your viewpoint is on creation, what I want you to be crystal clear on as far as being a father of Jesus is the one that we're going to celebrate on December 25th, his birthday. John is saying that he is the creator of everything. He created the universe. Whatever you believe is eternal. Whatever you believe is the one that brings things into being. Like if you're just a materialist, then you believe that there there has always eternally been just mass and energy. That's all there is. It's just a material world. But I want to challenge you, you can't live like that. Nobody, like I've often said to you, no husband at Christmas time that goes to Zale Jewelers and gets a diamond, no fiance looks at his precious loved one and says, I loved you with all my cardiovascular system. I love you with the blood pump that's in the center of my heart. And I want you to know that all that I'm committed to is there are now neurons that are pulsing through my brain. And my neurological system is telling me that I should be joined to you. 
No woman will accept that kind of introduction to their marriage. You got it? Every one of you know, and every scientist knows, there's got to be something before the beginning. Where does all this personalness come from? Where does love come from? Where does togetherness, the passion to be united as husband and wife, to be with friends, to have peace, to have joy, all of those things are invisible things. And what John just claimed, is that our precious Logos, the revealer of God, is the creator. God is the creator. All things came to be through him. You know what that means for you? It means that he can not only create a physical world, but John's going to go on this book and he says, Jesus is the one, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe in his name. John's going to talk to you about an even greater creative power that's present in the Logos, present in the Revealer, present in the historical Jesus. John is going to claim Jesus not only gives life to the animals, he not only gives life to all vegetation, he not only gives life to all of the sea creatures, he's saying that Jesus is the one that can give eternal life to you forever and ever. Do you have that life this morning? And if you do, then let the creator produce life and light as you experience this day. John goes on and said, he makes the first claim, Jesus, the Logos, is the creator. So all of you need to ask yourself, what do I believe about the origin of all things? And the Bible could not be clearer that God the Father, working through his Son, that when it says God said and there was light, that, that word, that saying of God... In Hebrew, the word devar means not only the word, but it means the action, the power. And John is making an incredible statement that God's word is a person. That the ultimate revealer is not just a force. So you never say, may the force be with you. But the ultimate being in the universe through which God made the universe and made human beings and made all the animals. It's saying that it's the personal, eternal Son of God. What does that mean? It means that he is the one that generates life. Look what it says. This is incredible. Not only is Jesus the creator, not only is the Logos the creator, but it goes on and says, in him, look at look at the verse 4, in him was life. You can't say that about anyone else in all the universe. Nobody intrinsically has life except God. You, you've heard those statements. Just think about what it's saying. In him was life, and the light was the light of men. The light shined in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it, or the darkness has not overpowered it. This is really important. Whatever you believe is the source of life to you is what you're worshiping. For example, the iPhone was the most searched for item on the Internet. This Christmas, a whole lot of people are searching to get this gift. And if you've had anything to do with people that have one of these things, you'll notice that while you're talking to them, they're all watching their iPhone. Anybody had that happen to them? Okay. So what you're saying is that my life, what's going to bring me purpose? What's going to bring me meaning? What's going to hold my life together 
is all this communication that Steve Jobs made possible for us. Okay? What the text is saying is that you need to think deeply about where you're receiving your life from. And you know what? If you're a scientist, life is a really hard thing to define. In fact, I challenge you this afternoon, go on Wikipedia. And you'll have all these definitions. You'll have like, they'll tell you what death is. Death is when your brain stem stops functioning. But then they'll give you gruesome stories. If you cut someone's head off, for years and years and years, they said death is when your circulatory system stops going. But you can cut someone's head off and the, the it's terrible vision, but the carotid arteries keep on pumping. So is the person still alive until the blood stops doing that? That's the way scientists will talk. In other words, what life is, is when your brainstem is still neurologically going. But then you run into all kinds of problems. Biologists that I've been with will say, well, life is when you move. But there's lots of things that move. And if you stop moving, for example, I've been with people that are comatose. They don't move for a long time. So are they dead? Scientists define life in terms of its function. It reproduces it metabolizes, it moves. But I asked the scientist, well, what is it? I don't want you just to describe materially and physically what it does. I want you to tell me what it is. Like Jeannie, yesterday on Saturday, early in the morning, at 6.30, one minute, Jeannie was alive physically, and the next minute, she wasn't. Ancients would say, well, the breath is gone because the chest was no longer healing up. But what I want to ask you, what is it? What's the source of life? And who gives it? Where does it come from? And what John is telling us is that your precious Savior, Jesus, is the one that has life in himself. In John chapter 5, it says that the Father in heaven has given to his Son eternally to have life in himself. So as the second person of the Trinity, what John is telling us is that the Savior Jesus that was born in Bethlehem, that he was the Savior that possessed life in himself. What it means is that if he lives inside of your life, then you have a source of life that's going to last forever and ever and ever that you're going to be truly alive. And one of the big discussions throughout this whole book is will you believe that? And I want you to know this separate Jesus. So like if you go away to college or you take courses and they tell you that Jesus is like any other religious figure, he ain't. I told you that over and over again. Nobody says I'm the source of life. If I was an unbeliever, this is why I would turn away from Christianity. It is crazy. I mean, a human being that was born in a Bethlehem, put in in a, in a cow trough, was the one that intrinsically in his own being has lived forever and ever and ever. And he is so powerful that he can give life. But this morning, this morning you can not have your job. This morning you can have terminal illness. This morning you can be depressed because of a lot of painful things that have happened to you. But you can be alive. You can be filled with life. 
And you can have a life that no one, including the greatest enemy of our souls, the evil one, can ever murder. And at this Christmas season, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit is going to use what I'm telling you. That this morning and for the next few weeks that you're going to let this incredible Logos be the source of life for you. These iPhones, as soon as you get it, Apple comes out with another one. And you need another one. And you'll go through your whole life. And when you die physically, they might put the cell phone in your coffin with you. But it ain't going to do any good. But what I just told you, you can be the poorest Indian in the Amazon River rainforest. And you can have life. I know Amazonian Indians today that have life. They have nothing physically, but they're internally rich because this incredible Logos had breathed into them life. John says, and in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Every kid in this audience, every kid knows that you desperately need, when it's dark, you need a flashlight. In fact, Carl told me as we were praying with some of the leaders, he said that he gave to one of his grandsons, he gave him a flashlight. And he gave him the flashlight so that when he's at night and he's scared, like he's in his room, he can have this little flashlight. And then Carol said, you know what? A little bitty flashlight conquers the darkness. And Carol went on to tell me that when his grandson gets older, he's going to tell him, Jesus is the light of life. And him that believes in him will never walk in darkness. That just like that little flashlight illumines the way that Jesus living in his grandson's life can turn on the lights. And those are Christmas lights that will never, never go out. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. As you go out into the world this week, there's tons of darkness. Tons of sickness. Tons of death. Tons of poverty. Tons of disappointment. Tons of broken families. But what I told you today, you can be filled with life. You can be filled with light. And the darkness that Satan brings against us cannot overpower the light. Remember what Ethan Hallmark told us? Ethan was in the worst time of that immune treatment. On Christmas Day, Ethan couldn't even move. He described later how he just said, Jesus, get in bed with me and take the pain. He couldn't even open his eyes. His cousins outside the glass were, were trying to, filled with joy, opening their presence in the hospital. And Ethan couldn't even move. But he told his mom, you know what? Mom, don't ever forget, a little bit of light conquers the darkness. And I'll close with this. About light and life to all he brings, hidden with healings in his wings. When and his brother Jay lived right behind our old church on Overlook. That their daddy dug the sewer. Like I left him one day all the way up to you know what, up to his waist and the stuff. 
He lived right behind the church. And so Wynn and Jay were in Awana. They were in Sunday school. They were in everything we do. Some of you right here disciple them and train them. Their neighbor, Mrs. Willis, tell the story. Jay, Wynn's older brother, doesn't even know this. Dub Willis's wife says she remembers Jay when he was about eight years of age riding his bicycle. He would come by their house, which was right on the street, the next street over from Overlook. We'd go up around the corner, down Overlook, like a crazy Banshee Indian. He'd come riding around, then up the hill again. And up the hill, he had to slow down. And she told Wynn that every single day, every single turn, when he came around, she'd hear him singing. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Then he'd come around again. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful day, day I will never forget. Every time he came around, he had a different verse. After I've wandered in darkness away, Jesus, my Savior, I met this little seven-year-old kid. It's singing. Heaven came down. Everybody remember the song back in the dark ages, Heaven Came Down? Mrs. Willis shared how every time she heard a different verse, and she wondered whether he'd ever finished the song. Jay grew up. Got on drugs, drank way too much. Really did. Wandered totally away from the Lord, just like some of you will do. But at the bottom point, when his first marriage had gone crazy, everything was lost. He said, man, I got to remember Jesus again. The life, the creator. You see, when Jesus has his hooks in you, he doesn't ever let go. And so he got up and he went to a church. And he heard the gospel. And then late at night, one night, the Lord woke him up out of a dead sleep over there in in between Dallas and Fort Worth. And Jay couldn't sleep at all. And he got flat down on his face, bawling his eyes out. And he said, oh, Lord Jesus, I've known that you died for me on the cross since that little boy. I know that you rose again. And I've wandered far away from God. But now I'm coming home. And he opened his heart and he told when I was regenerated. Because by that time he had theological training and he learned all those highfalutin words. He said, I was regenerated. I was rebirthed. That Sunday, he didn't know where to go, but he went to a little tiny church over in Grand Prairie. And as he walked into the door, he was scared because he was late. He knew he was going to make a big commotion with a little church. He went to the door and he kind of went in. And when he opened the door, guess what he heard? Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Because Jesus is the author. He's the creator. And he's the one that can bring you life and light today. Let's pray. If you've never had that life-giving moment. You're not sure. You could have been like Jay, raised here and heard this message or raised in another church. If you're not sure that you've been regenerated, reborn, right where you're sitting, make room in your heart for Jesus. Just say, Lord Jesus, I want you to come to live in my life. I'm going to depend that you are the life. Give me eternal life based upon your cross, based upon your resurrection. I promise you, Jesus is right here, just like Jay did.
He'll reborn you. A lot of you have already made that decision. The Holy Spirit this morning wants to give you life today. He wants you to experience. So let's open our heart to that renewal, that life-giving breath. Do you feel like you're confused and you're in the dark? Jesus is the light. He's the revealer. He hasn't left the ultimate questions of destiny and where do we come from and why are we here and where we're going. Haven't left any of that to darkness. Return to Jesus as the one that turns on the light for you. Jesus is the creator. Jesus is the life. Jesus is the one that can give us light and direction and purpose and meaning. 